Greetings, traveler, and welcome to the postscript for this episode. Yeah. So I was thinking we could talk a little bit about like further watching in terms of Takashi Miike because we've talked about all the like extreme stuff, but he has a lot of other films that are worth checking out. Some light cinema, some fun, some quite stylish, some bizarre stuff. Yeah. Aside from his more famous stuff, one of the things that I, I really recommend checking out is his uh, superhero parody movie, Zebra Man, which is kind of about, I think he's a failed teacher and kind of a failed father figure who's um, not liked by his students and he's not respected properly by his son. Keeps remembering, he was really fond of this television show when he was a kid called Zebra Man. And then there's some alien interference or some such thing and he gets given the powers of Zebra Man. What are the powers of Zebra Man? Well, I guess super strength and... <laughs> Strong like a zebra? Yeah, and invulnerability, uh, that sort of stuff. But he's still a complete goof and... This, Isn't this... that just Superman's powers? <laughs> what does that have to do with it, zebras? Yeah, it has nothing to do with zebras at all. <laughs> and it kind of uh, has this daytime costume monster, Japanese uh, children's television vibe to it. There's a pretty funny scene where he kind of presents himself as trying to catch some thugs and he says, I'm Zebra Man. And they say, a horse man? What are you? So they kind of, yeah, he's, he's always in that territory of goof. And it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's quite lighthearted and um, he made a second one as well, which was pretty okay. But the first one, it's, it's really funny. You should check it out. Yeah, like it sounds a bit like uh, One Punch Man. Mm. Like the sort of making fun of the whole Japanese superhero tropes. Which is always funny, because it's funny to begin with. It's absurd and weird and, you know, out there and campy as fuck. Mm. But that also goes for a lot of Takashi Miike stuff. Yeah. yeah. He's done a bunch of these video game adaptations and he's done... Zebra a... Man a video game? No. I'm not sure that's even an original property. I just think that's something they made up. No. But he did Ace Attorney a few years ago. Yeah. Famous Nintendo series of games. Yeah, where you play a lawyer. Is it any good? You know, it's not bad. Did you play the games? No, but I, like I've seen, I've seen it being played. Like it's a bit. Yeah. Uh, I could see it lending itself to a sort of Takashi Miike brand of doing it. Yeah, it's the game is pretty fun. It's kind of like a mix of you know, like a vision novel and an old school point and click adventure with a bit of puzzle elements. And you you sort of have these scenes in the courtroom where you're supposed to perform like objections and provide evidence and stuff. It's quite cool. And the film takes very literally, like the look, the haircut of the main actor is kind of like a, a rubbery manga type uh, hairdo. <laughs> yeah, so it's super stylized. Very stylized. And you use a lot of like the same type of flash effects. I'd say like maybe the first half of the movie, it's very close to the, the story of the, at least the first game. It's pretty fun and quite cool to look at. And maybe it falls off a bit at the end, uh, I seem to recall. But um, yeah, it's an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, I thought it was quite fun. Also doesn't take itself too seriously, but you know, no, very it's, dedicated yeah. to its uh, source. Uh. I'm just fascinated when it comes to how much different shit Takashi Miki mm. does. It's just all over the place, from children's movies to fucking horrific shit to... All sorts of out there comedies too. Yeah, yeah. he has this uh, children's film called The Great Yokai War. Yeah, yeah, which is about all these spirits. It has a bunch of costumes. I kind of wish the production on that was a bit higher. 
some of those uh, yokai, the, the demons and spirits, are, are quite cool. Some of them are a bit tacky, maybe, like the costumes. Uh, well, he's usually suffering from a, a lack of funds. Like, he usually deserves a bit more than he gets, I think. Mm. But, I mean, he's shown that he can do a lot with very little. So. Yeah. It's a cute children's movie. Sort of okay, you know? Not as great as... I mean, one of the premier examples, at least back in the day, that people used to point to of him doing different stuff than extreme cinema was The Bird People of China. Have you seen that? No, I just heard about it. It's about ex-Yakuza guy who goes to this rural village in Japan, which has a legend about, I guess, people turning into birds and flying. It's also quite muted and meditative. Quite nice, you know. Which he can do, even though he doesn't always do it. Yeah, I mean, we've stressed this time and time again, but he is incredibly versatile. And you wanted to check out his samurai stuff. Yeah, so. I have been wanting to check out his more like uh, period uh, samurai stuff. Mm. I haven't actually seen much of it, but it seems to be pretty well received. Like, it's not incredibly amazing, but it seems to be pretty, pretty yeah. competent. They're quite uh, high production value, stylishly made, yeah, good I, action I, scenes. Yeah, I think it's easier to get higher production value on these sort of uh, period samurai pieces mm. because it's more in demand in mm. Japan than his weirder stuff is. Mm. So, but Yeah, in particular, I've been wanting to see 13 Assassins, both the original and and the remake. Yeah, I kind of really want to rewatch it as well. Also because it's a script by Daisuke Tengan and I yeah, really, yeah. Uh, I wasn't really aware of him. I had seen Imamura's Warm Water Under Red Bridge before, uh, which is kind of quirky film. I'm not really sure how to describe it. He uses <laughs> a lot of imagery of water flowing under bridges and female orgasms and that sort of stuff. Kind of playful and... Uh, you know, kind of to me, it's all the water under the bridge. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it plays with that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm really curious to re-watch 13 Assassins and to see if this... Yeah, maybe it's thematically more potent than I originally thought of. Yeah. He often has quite a lot of good, strong, interesting female characters. He does. He really does. Again, I always found it a bit baffling, the the allegations of misogyny. Because he does seem to have often quite female-centric, not point of view, but a lot of characters that are allowed to have agency and express themselves. I guess that, again, that is kind of a, a projection of a lot of American cinema where female roles in horror films tend to be fetishized and simplistic with not a lot of agency and often like burdened by the guilt of sexuality, you know. Yeah, but it's interesting in terms of imprint because the women there clearly have very little agency and it's part of the horrors of the place. Mm. But even so, their lack of agency is part of the horror. Mm. It's not just a part of the regular horror trope of women being mutilated and in sort of a Friday the 13th slasher mode. So it's it's a bit more problematized than that Mm. and put in a different light than Mm. usual horror fair, I guess. That's true. But yeah, we've been watching some Kurosawa yeah. as well lately, yeah. which has been very interesting. Like, it's easier to forget how, how great of a director it is. Last week, we watched uh, High and Low. Yeah, which I hadn't seen before. I had, but it's been a long time. And I've forgotten how amazingly dynamic that film is. Yeah, it, it starts off almost claustrophobic, almost like a sort of a... a Hitchcockian. Yeah, type. almost like a play. Yeah. Uh, very much in, in one apartment. Yeah. Uh, like people go in and out, investigators. It, it feels a very... Yeah, Hitchcockian almost. It reminds me of Rope by Hitchcock a bit. Yeah, and then midway throughout the movie, it just sort of expands and expands into this huge dramatic thriller-esque sort of a detective story almost. Yeah, very detail-focused. Yeah. And like 
gathering of evidence and a lot of characters yeah not focusing on singular characters like the first part like the first no. part is very focused on Toshiro Mifune's character as this uh, businessman who's threatened by a kidnapping uh, he's, he's kind of invested loads of money and there's a kidnapping somebody thinks it's his son turns out it's not but he's still expected to pay for it he has kind of like a moral obligation that he's not certain he wants to fulfill there's this exploration of high and low of, there's this class divide that's really explored his role as a, a as a wealthy businessman he's put in this moral dilemma where he has to sort of abandon his fortune to help mm. one of his uh, employees mm. it's really interesting the way it's done and it's not really it's not that simplistic really it does have nuances to it yeah like the villain of the story he is a fucking asshole but he does have motivations and reasons for being the way he is Mm. and a lot of it has to do with class and poverty and stuff yeah and injustices in society constantly looking at the house high up on the hill which has all the riches and fortunes and yeah it's quite symbolic like he can see the house so that becomes his obsession Mm. and hatred his hatred is directed towards that even though there's like no real connection between Mm. the two characters of course in the end he's he's shown to be quite irredeemable but Mm. that doesn't mean like the influences and impulses that he has are invalid Mm. but formally as well the film's so interesting yeah just technically a lot of the shots that you would expect to be shot on a soundstage or whatever are actually like there's this train sequence mm. which is actually shot inside of a train mm. and there's some car scenes that are shot inside the car not all of them but some of them are and it's really well done and technically difficult yeah. to pull off and uses a lot of handheld camera in the train and stuff and there's this this sequence where they're going through this den of junkies and sex workers and stuff which is almost a horror film like they're almost like zombies wandering in there it's quite beautiful and, and quite haunting actually yeah it does a lot of different stylistic choices that's they blend very well together uh i'm not sure i would say experimental as such but he's willing to push his own boundaries in terms of uh, what genre and what style Well, it doesn't feel so experimental because it's so well pulled off but in fact there's a lot of sort of strange choices in the movie mm. like the decision to have so many characters mm. and it sort of works because the casting is so well done and he uses a lot of the usual suspects from mm. uh, kurosawa movies and the characters are really like notable and you can really get a sense of them even though they have very little screen time mm. so even though there's like 20 different characters at the end doing an investigation and each of the characters is doing their own sort mm. of thing it sort of works mm. in a strange sense there's this um feeling of people you know doing the work together even though he doesn't have time to go into depth they're, they're well observed the different characters yep. and the film goes from being very character driven to being very plot driven in a way that works very well i think yeah yeah like towards the end there's very little of the character like there's very little focus on the characters in the sense of the beginning of the movie the tone is completely different mm. it begins as this like you said character driven thing and it, it turns into this really societal sort of uh, critique mm. almost it's very interesting mm. really cool and interesting movie and i mainly just watch tiff's you know historical samurai movies mm. Which are great in their own right, but it's interesting to see. I mean, this has been classified as a sort of noir movie, but it's it's not really that. It's really its own beast in a sense. Uh, towards the end, it becomes a little noirish, I guess. But mm. yeah, because we kind of have a project, we want to check out his crime noir films like Stray Dog and The Bad Sleep Well, which I haven't seen. So I'm looking forward to seeing those Kurosawa doing different types of stuff. Yeah, The Bad Sleep Well and the the Good Sleep Bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I guess. That would be a... Maybe uh, maybe we could get Mika to do a sequel. remake called uh, called that. Yeah, the good a sequel. Bad. <laughs> I think that will work. Yeah. I'm sure he'd do it. He'd say yes. Yeah. If he has time, I mean, he doesn't do seven films a year these days. He just does a couple, two or three. No, but we'll pitch it. It'll work. <laughs> yeah. He'll accept it. He accepts anything interesting that lands in his life. Yeah, have you you uh, watched anything else interesting recently or played in- interesting? Uh, what have I watched I've not watched so much lately. Maybe I'm not sure if I talked about it before, but I was be- I've been playing some um, Untitled Goose Game. Yeah, that's that's an interesting little, <laughs> little thing. It's a very playful game where you control a goose in kind of a countryside. Feels like an in- English uh, countryside environment, and he's just walking around and he's bothering people. Yeah. Or you're walking around bothering people, and you squawk. at humans and you kind of trick them into falling over and you steal the keys and you lock them out and it's a funny game and it has some kind of basic stealth mechanics but it's really nice because I mean there's no death element in it and the humans may be annoyed and they may shush you off but no one's trying to kill you and you're not trying to kill anyone else you're basically just being a horrible annoyance and when you've annoyed a person enough they'll put up a sign that says no goose (laughs) (laughs) it's really delightful the game like the art style is so quaint it's it's really and the goose is just hilariously such a jerk yeah he's such a jerk and I mean geese are often really like annoying assholes so it's just a really funny funny game well you know, the thing about geese that I wasn't really aware of, I didn't learn it through this game, but not too long ago, I saw some pictures of the inside of geese's beaks, and they have these rows of teeth. Yeah. They look so monstrous. They look like uh, super dangerous uh, sci-fi monsters. Yeah, a lot of birds do have that, like penguins too. Yeah. These horrible monster moss. <laughs> so. Really scary. Yeah, it's scary as fuck, dude. <laughs> it looks like they could... Bite your hand, clean off. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, they are dinosaurs. They are creatures mm, from another true. time. I'm just glad they're not like gigantic. <laughs> yeah, that would be incredibly scary. But it, oh, it's such a fun game, and you know, it doesn't take too much time. You can play around with it. It, it opens up for play and experimentation in a way that's nice. Well, how about you? Have you been playing anything? Um? Yeah, I've been uh, playing um, Night in the Woods. Oh yeah, um, amazing game. Extremely charming. Quite sad and really well written. Mm. Uh, it bears comparison to Life is Strange. I don't know if you heard about that game. I think I tested it a little bit. I'd like to play it properly, but I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, it can be compared to that, but but Life is Strange is way worse in terms of writing. Okay. Like, the writing really feels like it's written by a four-year-old white guy trying to channel teenage girls. Okay, okay. It's quite cringy at times. I, I quite like the game, but the writing is pretty bad at times. Okay, okay. Uh, but Night in the Woods is, is really well written uh-huh. and the characters are really well developed mm. and they have their own quirks and it's really funny and quite sad and the atmosphere is really good. The reason I actually started playing it now because it's um, it's really fall themed. Mm, so, it's, so it's like set around Halloween and stuff. It's just a really beautiful, beautiful game. It has a nice art style, kind of like analog. Yeah, very, very, very distinct art style. doesn't look like your your typical video game. It looks more like something you'd find in a children's book or something. Yeah, with animal characters. Yeah. But like the subject matter is quite adult. Mm. It's like uh, murder and, and a lot of personal problems. Um, but is it like a detective thing or are you solving no, it's, a mystery? It's, it's very character driven. Like there is a sort of mystery, but, but it's driven by 
character exploration and, and relationship explorations okay. and, and basically a lot about friendship. So, so what's your role in that? You... You're basically, uh, you play as May, a 20-year-old college dropout, basically, who returns to her hometown and sort of... Uh, it's about her meeting her old friends again and sort of trying to find out what she's going to do. And stuff happens. Mm. You know, it's really well done. And uh, probably, I haven't finished it yet, mm. but it's so far has been one of my favorite games to play for a long time. Kind of reminds me a little bit of another game I was playing a while back called Mutazone, where you're playing like a young teenager who comes to this island where I think it's it's her grandfather who's living there. And it's just the inhabitants of the island. And you're going around daily routines and talking to people. There's some mystery element. And mm. the characters, some of them are human. Some of them are like, not monsters, but they're like creatures. But it has a really nice vibe. It's a cozy. This art style is, is really beautiful. And like the dialogue is very good. Sound design is excellent in that game. And you kind of have like a, a side minigame thing about growing plants nice there's a really good minigame in, in night in the woods too it's this roguelike uh okay. thing called demon tower which is actually really difficult because, and it's funny because the main game of, of night in the woods there's not really a lot of quote-unquote gameplay mm. it's more of a you go around talking to people yeah. and sort of explore different dialogue options mm. and stuff there's some small gameplay elements but there's this game you can play on the computer called Demon Tower, and, and it's a legit roguelike, and it's mm -hmm. very difficult. Okay. Uh, is it good? Uh, yeah, it's really good. I spent way too much time on it, and <laughs> I beat it at last. But uh, it's uh, it has this interesting mechanic where you, you lose a part of your health bar for each level you clear. Oh, yeah. So you get less and less life, yeah, and you get more and more dash abilities. So mm -hmm. you, get, you can dash more, but Dodge, you have less. Like, yeah. yeah, no dash, you sort of sprint ahead. Oh, okay, okay. And so... At the last level, you have one hit point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. That sounds uh, interesting. And also the sound design in, in None of the Woods is mm. really good. Like the soundtrack is amazing. And all the sort of uh, foley sounds of nature and like atmosphere is really quite remarkably mm. good. It has a real sense of place and atmosphere that a mm. lot of games really never achieve. Mm. I think some of these games do really good sound design they kind of focus a lot of energy on that stuff because in some ways it's not the most expensive but it's time well spent yeah. like it has such a great effect on mm. you a lot of games spend a lot of time on the art style but really forget about the sound design mm. but it, when you manage to tie those things together it really creates this sense of place and a sort of atmosphere that just really does a game wonders one of my favorite examples is hollow knight which has oh, an amazing soundtrack, really so amazing good. soundtrack mm. and really amazing sounds. And like the sound is almost half of the game. It's mm. so amazing the way that works. So. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Hollow Knight because uh, earlier this week, or was it the weekend, I just had this itch. I installed it again and I started playing it in what's called a steel soul mode, which means that if you die, you have to restart the game. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's a difficult game and it sounds, sounds like a kind of torture, but... You know, I play that game a lot, so I've kind of internalized the controls a bit, and I know where the difficult bits are. So I played a, a fair bit into it. At the moment, I'm kind of stuck in this uh, area where I can't really go forward or go back. It's in, like, the, the Crystal Caves part. Yeah. And I have just one, one of these uh, health... Uh, one hit point, basically. Yeah, left, and I'm just... I feel I'm I'm never going to touch that save again. Yeah, I, I I just I I wouldn't do that. Torture. But the great thing is, once you finish the game and you play it in in Steel Soul mode, yeah. it kind of reinvigorates the game. It's maybe my favorite example of like a new game plus type thing. Yeah. Because it really creates a tension 
and uh, exploring the game again in that way is really vibrant, actually. I've been enjoying so much playing it in that way. Well, it is its own thing. Like, that's part of the appeal with a lot of roguelikes is mm. that you really have this sense of danger and you really have the sense of not... Like, you have to be aware of your surroundings in a way you don't mm. really have to be in a lot of games. So it does really force you to enter that world in a way that you really can't do when you have, like, infinite saves or whatever. Mm. It is a fascinating game mechanic, but at the same time, I've done those modes a couple of times in games, and once you die, you just yeah. it's you, so disappointing. You have to start all over, and yeah. it becomes too much retreading. You just give up. That. Typically, that's what happens. I mean, I did it a little bit with Subnautica. The problem there, that the game, which I love, it does have a few glitches, and I, I glitched out and died, and that just ah, bumped me out. Yeah. But you know, Svara, I figured out what our second episode of our fictional gaming podcast should be. Oh, yeah? It should be games within games. Yeah. Uh, my favorite example of this is um, is an old one. It's a um, point-and-click game from LucasArts called Day of the Tentacle. And you can find a PC in that game where you can play the game that came before Day of the Tentacle, Maniac Mansion. And back in the day... I think I played through Maniac Mansion through Day of the Tentacle <laughs> in that game, which was uh, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, there are so many good examples mm. of that. What I really like, actually, is um, in the Witcher series, you can play Gwent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's a really, like, full-fledged card game mm. that is entertaining in its own right. Mm. So uh, for a lot of people, they probably spend more time on Gwent than in mm. the actual game. Which is funny because the, the actual game is, like, this rich RPG with a lot of quests and, like, locations and everything. Story yeah, different. Yeah, and you just fucking spend all your time with this <laughs> card game that has like just 2D cards. But they released like a revised edition of that on its own later on. Yeah, there's a standalone version mm. of Gwent. I've never been very interested in card games, but mm. Gwent is just really satisfying to play. I played a bunch of the card game in Final Fantasy VIII, which I seem to recall is pretty good. I don't remember what it was called, but there's like, a, I think you have like the, you know, you can summon these gods or spirits to fight for you in battle. Yeah, and there's a card game based around them, I think. Yeah, I I remember I spent way too much time on that card game too. Like, <laughs> but that's I think the several Final Fantasy games that have sort of a, yeah. a meta meta game quality to it, mm. like that. But yeah, but, uh, yeah, every every good game has some sort of weird mini game in it. <laughs> it's a rule. <laughs> yeah, it's a rule. If you don't have that, you are disqualified. I feel in in Dark Souls that would be like the meta game that you're fighting with yourself yeah the battle within your own soul <laughs> yeah. for your um, humanity yeah. trying to restore your humanity for being destroyed so many times well i guess uh, that's the postscript for now music for this episode was by umulium that's Sarah ogod and new scanning uh, if you want to get in touch with us send us an email at unpleasantmovies at protomail.com or check out our instagram that's instagram slash Unpleasant Movies. My name is Thomas Simonson Barnbra. My name is Svar Ogur. And, and we'll see you. See you next time. Next time. Bye bye. Goodbye.